When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 21st of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. On Tuesday, the government had delivered its message on the next steps for reopening the country and the protective measures needed to do that safely. The protective measures have to involve masks, physical distancing, ventilation, mitigation measures. No where appropriate. It is, of course, a very serious announcement, but governments find themselves in trouble when they make serious announcements if those announcements end up being the subject of amusement. We were told we will need masks, physical distancing, ventilation and mitigation measures. So how does that work in a nightclub? We all have to behave sensibly. Now, that prompted this question. Taoiseach, I ask this in jest, of course, because we're not the same generation, but when was the last time you were in a nightclub? Labour's Alan Kelly. How can you expect people to go dancing and socially distance wearing masks? Uh, Obviously people would be able to dance in a nightclub, of course. Then everyone wanted to know if snogging would need to be socially distanced and with masks on. What traditionally happens in a nightclub will continue to happen in a nightclub Um, but there will be (laughs) Um, so the practicalities will apply you know nobody really knew what any of this meant but we were being told it was something that was still being worked out yeah there's going to be sector specific guidance for each sector over the coming days that will be ardened out and worked out in considerable detail the Taoiseach Michal Martin speaking on Tuesday Here's Alan Kelly once again in the doll yesterday. You can't have a situation where a pub that changes into a nightclub changes rules in a matter of minutes. Situation where the live entertainment industry, you can stand up and dance, but if you're in a nightclub, you can dance. Like, this is just all unnatural. We need to get back to first basics. Obviously, personal responsibility. Obviously, 100% imposition in relation to certs, uh, ventilation, etc. But asking Falsha Ireland to do this and others to do this, it's simply not going to work. It's not natural. Uh, these are ridiculous. He wasn't far wrong. There will be anomalies. I, I said that. I'm straight up with you. There's going to be, there are going to be anomalies. And I, as I said at the outset, we will work out with different sectors, specific guidance, including nightclubs. And they have to be practical. OK? And in case there was any doubt... I am stressing 
that there will be anomalies. Let's speak to an expert in public relations. Paul Allen is uh, the Managing Director of uh, Paul Allen and Associates PR. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. You believe the government has given us a masterclass in per communications this week. Well, basically, it's, it's, it's murder on the dance floor. It's, it's got you by the anomalies. It's just it's shambles. Um, and why come out and announce a very critical stage? This is the remaining aspect of the hospitality, entertainment and night co- economy that's going to be opening up uh, on the eve of a bank holiday weekend when everybody wants to do things uh, and enjoy themselves. They say timing is everything, but this has gone painfully and very badly wrong for them. Um, and like looking at what they've been saying and the clips you've been playing, uh, this this is horrendous. This should have been a great moment for the Irish government to celebrate. Uh, good old Boris across the way was calling when he, when they were doing it as Freedom Day. But this is an absolute shambles. Mm, but look at Boris now and, you know, the thousands of deaths uh, that are occurring in uh, the country uh, at the moment uh, and how COVID is off the rails there. The government here were, to some extent, boxed into a corner, were they not, in that they got this grave message, this grim message from Neffet on Tuesday evening and had to come out and somehow explain the inexplicable, inexplicable to government as well as the rest of us. Sure, and, and, and we, if you may just t- think of the, the loved ones we've lost, the last 18 months have been really dreadful. Isolation, loneliness, uh, even fear. Many people afraid to come outside their homes for foodstuffs. Uh, so let's not forget about that. And, and certainly COVID hasn't gone away. If you listen to Tony Houlihan last night, 2 3%, the modelling of the numbers is going up. It's going up again. Um, and the COVID vaccine, people are saying it's not as powerful as it should have been. Uh, there's looking at booster shots. The winter's coming. There's flu arriving. You know, this is scary and difficult times. And, and to be reopening the country at a bank holiday weekend, uh, timing is everything. Mm. Uh, people's con- uh, safety and health comes first. We only have to look at the hospitals. Like the figures are rising to 800 to 1,000 people are expected in November. You know, this COVID matter is not over. It, it, it's a dreadful issue and it must be addressed. Um, but bad communications only drives people bananas. And my heart mm. breaks for the people involved in the industry. My goodness me. Mm. Like oh. They've been closed for, what, yeah. 580 days. Yeah. Um, mm. And now, like, they're trying to get staff. How are you going to get staff when many staff are still on the PUP payments? Um, the suppliers of drink, you need fresh stock if you're going to be opening the weekend. So... So clear communication is critically important. Right. Uh, And opening uh, begins on the 22nd of October, which kicks in at midnight tonight, uh, which... uh, Bonkers. No, 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 seriously, like in the context of what's Mm. going on, uh, as a PR professional, we have a situation where we sit down with people, we firstly ask them what do they want to say, Mm. let's have a a messaging workshop, work out what we're going to say, and then we we, we draft it up and we see do they stick to the script, and Mm. then we, we cross dare I say, cross-examine them in terms of questions as to what could likely crop up. Mm. It, it's clear that the three heads of government, Micheál Martin, Leo Varadkar and Eamon Ryan, just rambled in, hands in the pockets, right lads, what are we going to talk about? Nobody thought out. And, and, and like the people that they're paying high fees for, the communication professionals that are around them, who are probably monitoring, as I'm, well, I'm speaking this morning, mm. as to what's going on, they should be on their game. This is a critical issue. And, and the the heartbreaking situation where people have their businesses closed, they want to open up again safely. I, I'm very familiar with your very own uh, Mark McGowan, 
who runs Scholars and Peggy mm. Moore's pub, mm. voicing grave concerns. But like in my business, uh, we have been responsible in the past uh, 18 months for opening up sectors. Yeah. And if, if I'm allowed to say in terms of the, the drinks industry, uh, which is well funded by uh, the, sorry, the vintners, uh, both the countryside and the, uh, the the city vintners are well funded by the drinks industry. They should be working hand in hand with government in terms of developing guidelines. Because mm. you hear the spokespersons from the drinks industry saying, oh, we haven't got the guidelines yet. We worked with the, the wedding sector. We drafted guidelines. Mm. We worked with the hairdressing sector. We drafted guidelines. We presented it to the government. Mm. We worked with the childcare sector. Again, we did guidelines. But to be sitting back and waiting for government to try and help you run your business as you can see there's chaos and 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 heartbreaking situation because kids want to go out and party they want to enjoy themselves gigs want to go on artists want to perform we miss live music okay but we are in this difficult situation which i think all of us recognize Uh, but talk to me about the communication of that which is where your criticism lies uh, because uh, we're talking about uh, the government telling us uh, at least that they got this news on tuesday night which blindsided them Uh, and then they had to come out and explain it on wednesday Uh, and was it a, a case of them coming out and trying to bluff it and should they have instead come out and said we don't know yet uh, quite often people come into the radio station uh, and uh, it's a, an unusual environment and people get uh, nervous because they haven't done it before and if they are nervous the thing I always say to them is well if I ask you a question and you don't know the answer the answer is very simple say I don't know uh, and should that have been the approach by government uh, on uh, Wednesday of this week well, it's almost like going to a job interview to distill it down. And, and those who are lucky enough to be sitting in front of you, Mike, uh, will understand that uh, you're a very welcoming host and you put people very much at ease. But in the context of government, we're, we're in the big ticket situation. And even a person going for a job interview, either remotely, they'll find out what the information about the company is. They'll try and see what the job spec is. They'll mm. do their very, very best and put their best foot forward. Uh, the situation is people are, have got high-powered high-paid professionals around them uh, advising them what to do Uh, and and forgive me for saying this but doing it on the shoulders of a bank holiday weekend firstly Mm -hmm. is wrong Mm -hmm. and they should do it at a a time when it's gently open if people are opening restaurants or various other bits and pieces they always call them soft openings Mm -hmm. so they can get in and find find their feet like this morning the news clips are coming out that they're going to have social distancing at the bar (laughs) to order Mm -hmm. pints like how big are these bars and, and, and the thing but the, is that but the bars don't have the staff. I think that's the logic. Precisely, precisely. Mm. But but that's that's going to be a dangerous situation. So as you're okay. queuing up, do you wear a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Do you talk to the next person? All right, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, no, it, they're, they're, it, they're, they're very difficult uh, questions. Let, let's just, uh, st- wait, bear with me for a minute. Let's just hear a little bit more from Michal Martin. This is okay. the Taoiseach speaking in the Dáil yesterday. And as I said yesterday, there would be sectoral guidance issued to different sectors. But what is extremely important is that in terms of live entertainment, that it's ring-fenced for live entertainment, and it doesn't spread right across the hospitality sector. That is very important, because otherwise that has inherent dangers as well in terms of the spread of the disease. Um, So this isn't simple, Uh, and there are challenges there, but we would work and we'd get it resolved. I recall the rows in the convention centre then when we brought in the digital COVID certificate. One would imagine at the time that we had abandoned everything, civil liberties, the whole lot of it, parties attacking us left, right and centre for bringing in the digital COVID certificate. Now it's accepted as a key protective measure to, to enable the 
not just the reopening of hospitality, but to keep it reopened. Right, uh, the Taoiseach there. The message is that this is not business as usual, Paul. This is an exceptional, extraordinary, complicated situation. The answers are, are not simple and they will differ sector to sector. No, you can't ask people to wear masks uh, on uh, dance floors, uh, but if you can get them to wear them somewhere else, if that makes people safer, well then let's try and do that. And uh, What the Taoiseach was saying was that they were going to address this sector by sector uh, and that's what's been happening by all uh, accounts. Uh, there was a, a meeting uh, with Fulcher Ireland and sectoral uh, representatives yesterday. Those meetings are to continue today and later this evening then those guidelines are to be published. Uh, but that's not good enough, you're saying? Well, no, it's not because um, once again, it, it's on the shoulders of a bank holiday weekend. It needs a soft opening. It's grand to have people sitting in their office. Uh, you need to go into a nightclub. You need to understand, like, where do you hang your coat? Where's the cloakroom? Uh, if you're going to the bathroom, uh, are there proper sanitization facilities available? Uh, and, and even queuing up and, and well done to the businesses that mm-hmm. are are using the COVID uh uh, app it works well but you need proper lighting it person needs to be there it's another member of staff that needs mm. to be there then also with the bar are you paying by cash if you're doing cash then somebody's handling the money so like we're, we're opening even as i'm talking to you we're opening up a, a hornet's nest of issues uh, and and once again people on the business side are trying to open up they've been closed for so long mm. this is a critical time but they open slowly, like even to open last night or a Tuesday night and just gradually mm. open up into a momentum. But um, government is, is, is we're listening to them. But on one side of the government, Tony Houlihan, who has been doing great work, is telling us to take it easy. The other side, let's go, let's go on the lash. Let's mm. go into dimly lit nightclubs. Let's, let's do what goes on in nightclubs. Yeah. Uh, I, I laugh as a, t- a Tamango's refugee. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in the context of what went on. Uh, I think there's uh, younger and, people uh, who'll have to Google that, I'm afraid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a mm. nightclub mm. in North Dublin. Yeah. Uh, mm. God bless it. It's still going. It was so, back in the day when fellas had studs in their shoes. Uh, yeah, but and, having, and, mu- and mullets. And yeah. mullets, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Google is a handy thing at these moments so that we don't have to take the time <laughs> to explain all that. But having said all of that, uh, there is uh, this move to open as best we can to support the economy and to get businesses up and running and, and indeed to protect public yeah, health at the same time. I understand from, from, from some mm. members of the medium, uh, some members of the sector, some guys are not going to open up because it's, it's impossible to them to get additional staff. Where are the staff? Yeah. Um, we also have to look at the PUP payments. They have to mm. be gradually phased out and people need to return to work safely. Okay, before we finish up, let's hear from Michal Martin again and the Taoiseach once again in the doll explaining the conundrum that the government found itself in. The decisions yesterday, because it was last Wednesday when government was alerted to, to the situation in terms of the deteriorating situation and there was a meeting with senior officials and Nefford wanted to see a number of more days to see the pattern in terms of the numbers, in terms of case numbers and so forth. Um, and hence the meeting of Nefford on Monday uh, the government meeting on Tuesday, government leaders considered Neffet's advice late on, on, on Monday evening. And I accept that the nighttime economy sector haven't got great notice in relation to this, but that's because of how things have evolved. And you use a good phrase there, it's not natural. COVID is not natural. That's the problem. COVID is not natural. There are many twists and turns with it. And it can uh, you know, upset the best laid plans. We thought two weeks ago that we would be opening without restrictions. Okay. Uh, that has changed. What we know must do is try and protect it. COVID has changed the best laid plans, Paul. Mike, may I translate mm. that? He got seven days' notice. 
he should have been on his guard. He should have known what was going on. They should have wheeled in their contacts in the industry and they should have had their act together. So he and his two other colleagues in government should have been able to stand up with straight backs and tell the people what's going on. He also should have listened to Tony Houlihan um, and obviously talked to Tony Houlihan beforehand. But to be doing what they're doing now is insane. It's absolutely bonkers. And my heart breaks for the people in business and my heart breaks for people who are recovering from COVID. It, it's just a mess. Okay, we leave it there. Thank you indeed, as always, for joining us on the programme this morning. That's uh, Paul Allen, who's uh, an expert in public relations. He's uh, the managing director of Paul Allen and Associates PR. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Yeah, some worried listeners in touch with us uh, this morning. Somebody saying uh, this is going to be the shortest lifting of restrictions in uh, the entire pandemic. They needn't worry about the hassle in the nightclubs because they won't be open for long. Everything will be closed within a week or two. Ray then texting saying this has been a week of claptrap in Irish politics. On one day we're reopening then within 24 hours an effort to give the most grave briefing since January, even saying vaccinated people can contract and spread the virus even to each other, rendering the reliance on vaccine passports in this reopening period pointless. Why on earth are we reopening at all? We should be tackling the current rise, not letting it spread more, says Ray. Well, it certainly was a grim briefing from Neffet yesterday. A worrying and concerning increase that we're seeing a rise in cases, rise in hospitalizations, admissions to ICU, and unfortunately, we expect and anticipate to be followed by a rise in the number of deaths that we report as a result of the impact of that change in transmission. Uh, there's no question that we have seen a drop in our collective adherence to uh, the measures, and some of that relating to anticipated behaviour that might have happened over the last number of weeks uh, as people began to expect and anticipate uh, an easing of measures and easing of restrictions. Uh, and, and that is in large part behind what we're now seeing uh, across the age groups, across the regions across the various settings in which transmission takes place. Uh, it's important still we remain optimistic about how well our response is working. Uh, this is a virus which, uh, if there was no mitigation in terms of the transmission, might transmit with a reproductive number of somewhere between six and eight. And the combination of the effective high levels of vaccination that we, we have achieved in the population, as well as continued adherence by large numbers of people to a lot of the protective measures that are important, uh, has maintained levels of suppression that are quite significant relative to the, the, the if you like, the, the natural ability of this virus to transmit easily between people. Uh, but it's just at this point in time not quite enough. Uh, and as Professor Nolan has said, uh, small changes uh, in those behaviours can be important, particularly when the disease burden in the population and the force of infection is high uh, in, in creating uh, the change in transmission that we've now seen. And so we're going to have to continue to emphasise the measures that need to be taken to achieve some of that improvement in terms of our collective ability to suppress uh, the levels of infection that we have. Uh, in relation to vaccination, notwithstanding the very high levels of, of, of uptake that we have, which compare extremely well, as we know, internationally, we still have uh, 350,000 or so, a third of a million people in the adult population who should be vaccinated, who are not yet vaccinated, uh, one in five people between the ages of 18 and 30, as Professor Lone has said, is not vaccinated. Uh, and 40% of the 12 to 15-year-olds uh, not yet vaccinated. When we look at the pattern of infection across the population, we are still seeing hospitalizations, intensive care unit admissions, and mortality occurring in all of the age groups, including people under the age of 20. Right. That's the Chief Medical Officer, Dr Tony Houlihan. I hope, Peter, you were listening to that. Uh, Peter, we got your message. 
Uh, Peter uh, reckons that's all propaganda, and he spent a long time texting us that message. Uh, We won't read the message, Peter, of course, because it's nonsense, but uh, maybe instead of spending all of that time uh, thinking up smart things uh, to say in a text message and spending the time texting it to us about propaganda from people like Dr. Tony Hoolan, the chief medical officer, uh, take a few minutes to go down and get yourself vaccinated so that uh, you don't get sick or worse. Uh, You heard Dr. Tony Hoolan say to you there, uh, if you're not vaccinated, you should be vaccinated. Get vaccinated, Peter, uh, and give up this silly, silly, silly fight, please, because it's getting very, very serious. uh, And it's getting uh, to a stage uh, where... Uh, people like yourself are going to end up catching this because it's rampant and you have no protection. Um, we've a uh, text then from Jared Andrada uh, about people like Peter who won't get vaccinated. Uh, in this circumstance, there are people who own a pub. Uh, and he tells us, uh, thanks, Jared, by the way, for your text. Jared says he's been to restaurants and pubs who don't ask for vaccine passports. Uh, and he says there's a pub not too far away from him. The owners won't get vaccinated. And it's been so busy there people going in with dud vaccine passports going around because they won't take a vaccine. How are we ever going to get control of this virus with this happening, uh, says Jared. I don't know, Jared. You'd love to bang some heads together, wouldn't you? I mean, such... Oh, I don't know. I suppose they've uh, boxed themselves into a corner and uh, feel that there's no way out now. Uh, Tom in County Louth says, it's all very well to constantly criticise the government, but do you not think that the government has a very hard balancing act to do in relation to COVID and the restrictions? It's a case of damned if you do and damned if you don't. But the bottom line is they have to listen to what Neffert is advising. I think it's important to say that uh, they should thread carefully and things change and they change all of the time in terms of the number of cases. Uh, uh, I do think though that your guest is right uh, says Tom he's talking about Paul Allen who was speaking to us earlier on uh, Paul Allen uh, who works in public relations he says he thinks Paul was right uh, about making these announcements going into a bank holiday weekend perhaps not being the best time to uh, change things uh, says uh, Tom thanks uh, indeed uh, for that uh, by the way over the bank holiday weekend just going back to Gerard and Drada they're promising a clampdown on uh, establishments that are, are not looking for COVID certs uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens over the long weekend uh, and how that clampdown goes uh, and how the pubs and the restaurants respond um, I don't think I'd be going into a pub or a restaurant uh, if they didn't ask me for COVID cert, uh, I, 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 I'm not sure I'd bother saying anything, but I definitely wouldn't go into it. I, I think I'd say, "Listen, good luck to you. Um, you can give the table to somebody else, or whatever the case may be." Uh, but uh, that's uh, something for us all to think about. Uh, having said that, maybe we won't have to do that. Maybe they'll all start asking for the COVID cert because maybe people won't go in if they don't ask for the COVID cert, and maybe uh, the Health and Safety Authority will be knocking on their door and imposing fines on them for not doing that. Uh, Lots of comments coming into us this morning, lots more to get to, and we will get to them through the morning, and you're welcome to add your voice, should you wish to do so. Michael Reed on LMFM. It's kind of a a pattern at this stage, and you know the pattern, don't you? The number of cases rise on a a daily basis, Uh, the number of people going into hospital starts to increase, the number of people going into ICU you then starts to increase and then inevitably or invariably the deaths follow and yesterday there was a huge and worrying increase in the number of people who needed ICU care 14 people in just one day Yes, 
you've heard us before say don't read too much into one day's data. Uh, that said, um, in terms of the sequencing of outcomes here, we see case numbers rise typically, though not in this case, followed by rising hospitalizations. There's normally a significant delay before you begin to see rising numbers in intensive care. Around now is when we would have expected to see rising numbers in intensive care related to the increase in cases reported. Uh, over the last 10 to 14 days. So it is a, a real concern, uh, a very significant concern to see, uh, sadly, right on cue, um, a, a significant uptick in the, in the number of admissions to, to already um, uh, well overstretched uh, intensive care. Neffet's head of modelling, Professor Philip Nolan, speaking at uh, that press briefing uh, last night. Let's speak to Fidigale's spokesperson on health, Colin Burke, who's a TD for Cork North Central. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, These new cases, uh, this upsurge in cases, this fourth wave, uh, whatever way you want to put it, uh, seems to have taken all of us by great surprise. Uh, We're going into a a winter that uh, will cause much concern, particularly for those who are working on the front line of the health service. Absolutely. Um, If you look at the figures for yesterday, um, we've now 464 in hospital with COVID. 54 alone were admitted yesterday. 36 were discharged. But I mean, the big worry number is the fact, as you mentioned earlier, 14 um, have been admitted to ICU. So that brings it up to 86 currently in ICU. Now, that's yesterday's figures. I haven't seen today's figures yet. Unfortunately, it appears that we will have a growing number um, being infected over the next two weeks. I suppose it's it's really about getting the message out there that we need to be careful about where you know that we need to wear masks. We need to keep social distancing. We need to wash our hands and just making sure that um, we do not contract the virus. Um, there is more, uh, I suppose, mm. mixing of people now in between work, between college, between schools, between parents meeting children at schools, parents meeting parents outside schools. So we we have um, a huge challenge and it now is the time for people to be mindful that um, they can contract it. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we all have a part to play in this. It's not just about the doctors and nurses, but yeah. everyone has a part playing this. Yeah, but we all seem to have uh, different uh, opinions. Certainly, if the feedback uh, we're getting from people uh, is anything to go by, there's uh, a lot of people getting in touch with us saying, oh, look, forget about all of this stuff with masks and all of that. We're way past that. There are other people saying, are we mad uh, with these figures increasing? What are we doing uh, when we're being told on one hand to wear masks and wash your hands? Uh, and on the other hand, there's people uh, going to nightclubs and getting jiggy with it. Well, you know, we we it is now clear that um, this is going to stay with us for a number of months yet. Um, therefore, we have a choice to make. Do we close down completely? Do we gradually open up? And that's basically the way the approach we have adopted is about gradually opening up. <clears throat> I understand the regulations in relation to the opening of nightclubs will be finalised today as regards what will be the procedures within nightclubs. I think there's also a situation, and there's an interesting article in one of the newspapers recently where, you know, one in five people have been adversely affected by this pandemic in the sense of the, the level of lockdown. Even on Sunday, um, 
I'm my mother-in-law is 97 and a half and she mm. rang a friend who she hadn't been in contact with some for some time and the lady told us that she has only been out of the house five times in the last two years mm. because between all of the online shopping and all the rest of it um and, but that's i suppose not the right way to go either because it's it's um you know we still need to get out there, um, uh, meet with, uh, keep in contact with friends and relations. Mm. I think that's extremely important. Yeah, but if you're over 60, Dr. Tony Hullin was saying last night, don't be going into pubs or bars, not while these figures are are as high as they are, but at the same time, uh, we're watching uh, people going into pubs and bars, uh, and it seems as though all the rules are out the window, or that's the way it has appeared, because nobody's being asked for these COVID certs, and people have been ignoring the rules, uh, and... Uh, now we're going to see that mm-hmm. extended well, onto nightclubs uh, mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, well, I think it's it's, it's hard to understand, of, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the interest of bars and um, all of the restaurants to, uh, you know, uh, apply the rules because mm-hmm. they're the, the people that will suffer most if there is a if we have to go back to where there's a lockdown again. And we very so, may well have to do mm-hmm. that. I mean, that was well, in the letter from NEFIT to government on uh, Tuesday uh, night saying uh, that if this doesn't work, we may have to reintroduce restrictions and that could see a lockdown for for Christmas. It could and that's why we all need, uh, we all have a part to play including the restaurants and bars because it's to their benefit that we can work within the system at the moment and work within the regulations so that the maximum um, safety precautions are taken at all times mm. and I think that's extremely important. But look, this is a challenge but mm. it's also a challenge, remember, it's also a challenge for uh, the people who are in the front line in our hospitals. Like they've had two years of really intense uh, you know, the, the the volume of work is kind of way up. We also have the other problem in that you take this 464 beds now occupied mm. by people who have COVID. That means there's a whole lot of other mm. areas of healthcare that are affected where people can't get beds for, say, for you can't do elective surgery because you can't get beds. Yeah. You can't do normal um surgery because there are in beds there and, and that's affecting hospitals and very and badly as well, you know. L- let's remember what uh, elective procedures are, elective surgery is. Uh, you could be removing uh, somebody's cancer, a tumour from somebody. Uh, a planned operation comes into this category yeah. uh, or a uh, double bypass or something like that. Yeah. And quite often... Well, I think in fairness in relation to cancer care, I think we've kept uh, making sure that the um, anyone who requires that kind of care in relation to cancer is being prioritised and that okay, but that, but but it still falls into that character as would well, as would a colectomy or a, a yeah, bypass, absolutely. as I say, any of these things. These are big big operations that are yeah. having to wait because there isn't the room, because quite often after those operations, you'll need ICU care, and if you need ICU care and you don't get ICU care, uh, there's the prospect of dying, uh, which well, is the cold really reality. Of it. Any operation like you need. Yeah. You need the consultants, you need the nursing staff, you need the theatre staff, you need the um, anaesthetic consultant, Mm. you need the theatre, but you also need a bed uh, when that's all over Mm. to have the patient admitted to it. And that's that's the big Mm. challenge. If there's one of those components missing, then you have a problem as regards trying to carry out the procedure. And they plan this, and that's one of the reasons why they call it planned uh, procedures. Uh, Mm. They plan it because they know that you'll need maybe two or three days in ICU afterwards uh, for that intensive care. Uh, that is required. But the problem with people who have COVID who end up in ICU is that they quite often end up needing that bed for two or three weeks. 
Absolutely, and because it's it's something that doesn't go away in a day or two. It's a long, drawn-out process if someone... And I suppose the other message we need to get out as well, it's interesting to read um, a post up on Twitter recently from one of the consultants in obstetrics gynecology where nine of the ten um, patients that she... Or nine of the ten women she met in the clinic that day, uh, nine out of the ten had not been vaccinated. And there are people who are pregnant, who are inside an ICU. Um, so there is a need to get a message out there that people who are pregnant should get the vaccine uh, from their own point of view, but also from the point of view of <clears throat> their their immediate family as well. Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues that we need to get that message out there as well. In fairness, the vast majority of women who are pregnant have got the vaccine, but there's quite a large number who haven't got the vaccine. And that's in a Dublin clinic, nine uh, no, nine out of the ten women that were at that clinic um, had not been vaccinated, mm. which puts puts more pressure on the maternity services as well. And there's you know there there's a lot of restrictions that have to be put in place where the person hasn't been vaccinated. So it's important that we get that message out there as well. Absolutely. And also in relation to people who are fearful of getting the vaccine, and I've come across mm. quite a number of people of that, and I've gone through the pros and cons of it. I think all of the evidence now shows that where a person has a vaccine, they are in a far better position that if they do contract uh, COVID, mm. they're in a better position to deal with it mm. and um, will are unlikely um, are less likely to end up in hospital. Yeah. It's only common sense. Get vaccinated. We leave it there. Thank you indeed. Thank you, thank you Michael. Take thank care. Thank you very Bye. much indeed. That's uh, Finnegale spokesperson on health, Colin Burke. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's go back uh, to the subject of funding projects uh, that work uh, with people who are impacted by drugs or to divert people away from drugs, as uh, the case may be, following on from the Gearn report and uh, the report on implementing the 70 recommendations in uh, that report. Jed Nash is Labour's party, the Labour Party spokesperson on finance and uh, a local TD for Louth and East Me. Uh, where uh, this is such a serious issue. He's on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Deputy Nash. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. The HSE uh, is about uh, to make funding available. What do you know about this? Well, we um, received a, a letter last night from the HSE uh, indicating, late last night at about 9pm, uh, indicating that um, resources would be made available uh, in the family support space um, to um, engage uh, what they describe as a family support coordinator and a family support uh, worker. Now, I've been on the programme many times, as has other local deputies, and we've all been working um, with FASN, uh, and you had Jackie McKenna on last week, trying to make the case to the HSE uh, for additional funding for family support for those who are in families caught up in addiction, supporting uh, a family member who may be uh, involved in you know, the misuse of drugs, alcohol, uh, and uh, other substances. And we know there's a huge gap in services uh, in this area, and that's been articulated very eloquently by Jackie uh, and her colleagues uh, over the last couple of years, in particular, and especially the last few months. So yeah. it seems that the HSE have finally uh, agreed, um, given that there are indications as far back as last June, that additional resources will be made available, that they will be making some resources available to Loud and Mead for family support coordinators and a, and a family support worker. Uh, and uh, they have indicated that uh, the details of this, which have been communicated to 
NGOs in the area, including uh, FASN, um, the indications are that this will be uh, put out for tender. Uh, now, the truth is that there's only one organisation in this region that has the capacity, that has the skills, the expertise, the track record and the trust in leading communities to operate a service like this, uh, and this is FASN. And this uh, would amount uh, to a significant amount of funding to an organisation that uh, works on a voluntary basis otherwise. That's right. And, and, and this is the point. And uh, again, I, I listened intently to <clears throat> Jackie's interview with you last week and, uh, you know, the fun run and so on that they, mm. they, they have to organise to raise fun, f- funds to keep the doors open. Um, this, this isn't um, a huge amount of funding either. Um, this will uh, merely uh, ensure that the services that they have are kept going, that they can expand services to meet the kind of needs that we know are in the area. I mean, I know that uh, Fasson's, uh, you know, during lockdown, the the, 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 the the more kind of severe part of lockdown, um, the demands on their services uh, more than trebled. Um, mm. So that puts into context uh, the kind of work that they're doing, the kind of pressure that's on their services. And without this organisation, an organisation that, that I've referred um, people have difficulty to uh, over the years and an organisation that I rely on for expert support as well and advice in terms of dealing with matters to do with, for example, drug debt intimidation. Um, you know, this is this is very, very significant. Hoping that this uh, issue can finally be, be addressed. Now, uh, am I satisfied that this is going to address every issue that we have in this area? No, I'm not. Mm. And FASN is the organisation, I think, best placed to comment on whether this is sufficient mm. uh, and whether more is required. But I think this is an important development, a significant development and has to be recognised. Okay, absolutely. And uh, I think it probably is in line with the recommendations in the Gearing report in that it didn't make a specific recommendation to FASN and uh, uh, I suppose we should back up a a little bit as well and stress that it's open to FASN to apply for this funding. The funding will amount to €125,000. But the letter from the HSE which you have sent to us uh, also says that that will be separate to any other additional funding and therein lies a significant point because another recommendation that Gearan made was that apart from looking at funding, giving some funding to Fasten, an extra €150,000 should be given on an annual basis to another addiction service in the Red Door project. Correct and right. And, and, and we, we will, as I, as I said in the programme earlier on this week, hold agencies and government to account to make sure that those commitments are delivered uh, upon. And, you know, while this is a welcome announcement uh, by the HSE, frankly, uh, this process has been like pulling teeth uh, and fasten and families who rely on their service have been caught uh, in the middle uh, of this. I mean, I remember as far back as last June being told that um, you know, Fasson were engaging with the Department of Health on um, the uh, potential allocation of an additional you know, 70,000 euros. Um, yes, 70,000 euros has been allocated now, but this is year's end. Uh, practically. So we should not have to wait this long to deal with an issue so severe, uh, as, as severe as this uh, in our community, in our county and across uh, the north, the northeast. Um, you're right in what you say. I mean, these services, um, there is a requirement to tender for these services. That's why I said at the outset that in truth, uh, there really is only one NGO in the area uh, that has the capacity, skills and the expertise to deliver um, a service like this. And if a service like this, um, you know, including a paid family support coordinator and a family support worker if that's to hit the ground running uh, mm. then the infrastructure is there already the network is there already uh, and that operates through um, th- 
through 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 FASN. There is also as well, Michael, I think announced last week in the budget an additional allocation of six million euros uh, to Minister of State uh, Frank Fegan, who is responsible for the national uh, drugs strategy. Uh, that's very welcome indeed. We'll be coming back for more as a community uh, to make sure that um, you know, this is clearly not the end of it. There's a particular need in Drogheda, a particular need uh, in Louth, uh, and that has to be reflected in the government's approach uh, as per the gear and review and the implementation uh, implementation plan. Uh, the reason why I um, contacted you yesterday was there, there was a huge amount of interest in our community in this day in, day out. Yeah. We deal with people who are in situations, crisis situations where they need support. Uh, this is this is, uh, this is is good news uh, and this news was, was communicated to um, NGOs working in this space uh, before local TDs were uh, informed yesterday evening. I'm, I'm assuming uh, other local TDs have been uh, informed as well and there are a range of TDs across uh, the, the area who have been working uh, to various levels with the organisation to try to support them as best we can. This is not a party political issue. This is a community issue. Every political party in Loud, everybody represented in the Dáil in our local authority agrees that organisations like FASN need to be funded. This is a collective effort. OK, well, I'm delighted uh, to hear this news, as I'm sure many people listening to us uh, will be this morning. As you say, quite rightly, it's one small step, but it certainly is a step in the right direction. Thanks uh, for bringing it to us on the programme this morning and for joining us for that matter. That's uh, Labour's spokesperson on finance, Jed Nash, who's a TD for Louth and East Meath. Now, some more of the Commons attractor says, get the vaccine if you won't want to get it, uh, or don't if you don't want to. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. Don't push your opinions on others. Thanks, Attractor. Um, well, yeah, you, you don't have to get it. That's true. But if you don't get it, will you keep away from everybody else? Uh, because uh, the rest of us are trying to protect ourselves and other people. Uh, and I think that's uh, the message uh, that we're trying to get to you. Frank says the government is sending out mixed messages and confusing the public. Uh, thanks uh, for that, Frank. Uh, Pat says, we opened up early last year and ended up closing again. We don't want that to happen again this year. Thanks, Pat. I think there's a, a few people who feel like that. Deirdre in Kells says she can't understand people who won't get vaccinated. They're putting patients at risk who need hospital care. Well, they're just putting ordinary people at risk, uh, Deirdre. Um, she says if uh, these non-vaccinated people uh, got COVID, they'd know all about it. Uh, the COVID search should be used for everything. I agree. Uh, you shouldn't be able to go to mass, she says, uh, or anything else for that matter. Uh, I think that that would be a great idea uh, if they kept you out of uh, the churches and out of the libraries and out of the nightclubs, which they're going to do and all that. But uh, just maybe put them off in Spike Island if they're refusing to get it and they can get it, but just won't get it. Uh, Peter and Dundalk says uh, he thinks it's absolutely crazy. Uh, to reopen nightclubs. Uh, he says people get a lot of drink uh, and all caution goes out the window. It'll be near impossible, he believes, to get the clubbers to wear their masks. He, he says when people are drunk, they don't know what they're doing half the time, except the case numbers to multiply, expect the case numbers to multiply. Apologies, Peter. Uh, he'd rather be upped, uh, he'd rather see the pub payment uh, be increased for those who work in nightclubs. Uh, and keep them closed. Thanks, uh, Peter, for that. Uh, well, yeah, I, I don't know why you think they're going to be wearing masks. Nobody's going to ask them to wear masks uh, unless they're going to the toilet. Uh, but otherwise, uh, I think uh, you'll be able to <laughs> go about your business in nightclubs from midnight, it seems, um, without um, a mask. In other words, if you're dancing, if you're drinking, if you're eating, if you're... Um, 
doing any of the other things that you do in nightclubs, including snogging or kissing or uh, whatever it is that you might be up to in a, a nightclub, you won't be required to wear a mask. So I imagine the only time you'll be asked to wear one is if you're going into a toilet if somebody remembers to ask you or coming in the front door for that matter. But thank you indeed, uh, Peter, and everybody who has been in touch with us. Michael Reed on LMFM. It really is hard to believe uh, that a multi-denominational church service uh, could be as controversial as the one that's taking place in Armagh today. It's uh, to mark the centenary of Irish partition and indeed 100 years since the establishment of uh, the state of Northern Ireland. Uh, Two representatives of uh, the Irish government are to travel to Northern Ireland uh, to participate in the event. As you know, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, uh, Simon Coveney, and the government chief whip, Jack Chambers. Uh, The British Prime Minister will be there. Uh, The President of Ireland, Michael Lee Higgins, as you know, um, has been the subject of controversy himself because of his stance on all of this, not to attend because he says it is a political event. And uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, the Queen, uh, has uh, decided that uh, she will not be attending. Uh, She's had to pull out on medical advice. Uh, Let's talk uh, to Jim Wells, MLA for DUP in South Down. Good morning to you, Jim. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme. Is, is, is it not odd that uh, somebody won't represent the Queen? Is she pulling a sickie? Oh, well, I, I don't think that's appropriate to refer to Her Majesty the Queen in those terms. Her Majesty was over in Northern Ireland, but took ill and was advised by her medical experts uh, not to continue the visit. She had every intention of attending today's service as the Head of State of Northern Ireland. And it wasn't possible, obviously, at 24 hours' notice to find another royal who was available. Um, so that's very Normally, of course, she would have been accompanied by her by her husband, Prince Philip, but sadly he's no longer with us and he would have stayed on for the service. Mm-hmm. So everyone up here understands entirely really? why her imagine. You remember, there's a 95-year-old woman. Oh, yeah, no, remember I know, that? but there's nobody uh, attending uh, to represent her. Uh, and you'd wonder if that's because uh, her advisors have like the president and his advisors come to the conclusion that this is too political. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense, Mike. And you're better than that. Much better than that. The reality is that she was, <laughs> she conferred the status of Royal Hillsborough on Hillsborough uh, yesterday. Uh, she had every intention of attending the service. There was nothing political whatsoever. She announced her intention to uh, attend the event uh, after the, uh, the the controversy arose with the president of the Irish Republic, Michael D. Higgins. Mm. So read, you can read absolutely nothing, and not even the most rabid Republican up here, Michael, is reading that into her decision to step aside. So, you know, as one of the highest paid uh, radio presenters in, in Ireland, I think you can do better than that. Mm. Yeah, well, I think people could do better than radio if that was true, (laughs) if they were looking for a high pay. Uh, But having said that, um, uh, this uh, is a a controversial uh, event. uh, And I think other people have been asking uh, whether uh, the Queen uh, has made this decision or her advisors have made this decision. And there will be controversy surrounding this. So there's already been an endless amount of controversy in the lead up to it. And today, all political parties in Northern Ireland will... Uh, be represented by Sinn Féin and that in itself will be controversial, won't it? Well, yeah, the fact that I think it's magnanimous of the, of the SDLP to attend, we welcome that, the Alliance, the Greens, all the Unionist parties will be present, as will be a very wide range of civic life in Northern Ireland and of course the Arch Roman Catholic Archbishop 
uh, of all Ireland will be there. Uh, and well done to him and all the other main church leaders. So uh, the vast bulk of Northern Ireland will be represented in a celebration, but also a commemoration of a very important historical event. And that is that the six counties of the then Ireland of Ireland, which are part of the United Kingdom, decided to remain within the United Kingdom as a clear majority of the people in that country wanted to do so. We have managed, despite having everything thrown at us over this last hundred years in the form of a terrorist campaign, we've we've survived, we're there, we're moving forward, and Northern Ireland's a hundred years old. Uh, Jerry Adams said that they'd be the end of partition in 19, uh, 2016. Well, I must have missed something because it didn't happen. And they're making all these uh, prophecies that um, Northern Ireland will leave the United Kingdom, and so far they haven't happened, and I'm confident we're, we're looking forward to another hundred years. Uh, of uh, being part of the United Kingdom. Absolutely. Another hundred years as part of the United Kingdom where we've prospered and where we've done much better than if we'd been in the, in the United Ireland, in the Irish Republic. Okay. Uh, and are you happy that the Irish government is going to be represented there today? Yes, um, at a very senior level, and we're pleased that the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and I think that's appropriate that it's the Minister of Foreign Affairs is attending because he's recognising the fact that Northern Ireland is not part of the Irish Republic. It's part of the United Kingdom, so he's there and the, and the Chief Whip, and I think that, that's good news. And there'll be many other citizens of the Irish Republic are those who regard themselves as Irish uh, at this service today. And it's not going to be triumphalist. It's not going to be a celebration as such. It's commemorating an extremely important event in the history of this island. Uh, uh, One that was perhaps the most significant change in the status of the peoples of the island. And we can look back, and we can look back with real achievement. Northern Ireland has punched way above its weight in the arts, particularly in sport. We've produced some of the best sportsmen in the world. Roy McIlroy being the classic example. George Best, Alex Higgins, Mary Peters. So we've uh, we, we've, we've produced, of course, uh, some great writers, C.S. Lewis. Um, so therefore, you know, we have a lot to be proud of. We have a lot to celebrate. And I suppose one of the main things we're celebrating, we are still here. We are still here as Northern Ireland. And all the attempts to change that have failed over this last century. Yeah. Um, what will be marked today, uh, because partition uh, was the result of division and bloodshed, And those on uh, the Republican side would say that uh, since partition, um, it's been disastrous. It most certainly has not. And I'll tell you why, Mike. If it's been such a disaster, why has the Protestant unionist community in the Irish Republic shrunk to to one stage less than 2.5%, whilst the Catholic nationalist minority in Northern Ireland has surged? If it is such a horrible place to live, why do so many nationalists take the decision to stay in Northern Ireland and to work within our community? Because they know it is much better to be part of the fifth largest economy of the world than it is to be part of a much smaller nation in the form of the Irish Republic. And I suppose the golden jewel in that crown is the National Health Service. You have to pay for your health treatment in the Irish Republic or take out insurance in Northern Ireland. Everyone gets free treatment for any amount of money. We could spend a million pounds on your treatment if required, free at the point of delivery, and that is a jewel in the crown. And many nationalists realise 
that if we had United Ireland, that would be endangered. So we have a lot to be happy about mm. in Northern Ireland. And despite all that what has been thrown at us, we have record levels of low unemployment. Our economy is beginning to move again after coronavirus. And lots of people at both persuasions have been able to rear their children and their grandchildren in Northern Ireland and have had great benefit from doing so. Okay, just uh, an interesting turn of phrase that you used there after coronavirus. Uh, do you believe the pandemic is over? Well, it's over in the sense that uh, all of the economic shutdowns here are over. I was just yeah. listening with interest to your bulletin there. Obviously, the situation in the Republic is a cause for concern, but we, we, all of the shutdowns, our, our manufacturing is back to normal. Can mm. I give you an extraordinary statistic, Michael? Mm. There are more people in employment in Northern Ireland today than there was in February 2020. Okay. That is an extraordinary statistic, mm. given what we've been through, and there are major, major shortages of labour in almost every every sector of Northern Ireland. House prices have gone up fourteen percent in the last calendar year. That's it. Those are an extraordinary mm. performance okay. from an economy that was wrecked by coronavirus. Okay, still quite a high number of. Uh cases reported daily and number of deaths for that matter in Northern Ireland but ha, ha, Well cases yes, the death rate I'm relieved to say has not been as high but yes we have, there are mm. worrying infection rate and the same in the Republic of course okay. as well. Yeah. No absolutely yeah um, the event today, the um, church service today uh, will mark partition uh, and in no way will celebrate partition say the organisers do, okay. do, you, do you believe that partition is something to be celebrated? formation of the state of Northern Ireland most definitely is, and there are events throughout Northern Ireland, particularly since lockdown ended, there have been events all over the country to celebrate the, the formation of the state of Northern Ireland and the success of Northern Ireland. And I have attended quite a few of them and attend to, to, to attend quite a few more. Uh, obviously, they've been restricted somewhat by the lockdown, and we accept that. But there's lots going on up here, lots of events, yeah. uh, and there's a lot to look back and reflect upon and say, well done, Northern Ireland. You've mm. achieved far more than was expected. And as I say, people are flocking into Northern Ireland to live here. They're not going out. And that tells me that people are voting with their feet. And quite a few people from the Irish Republic have come up to live here and are extremely happy being part of Northern Ireland. So, you know... You know is, it better, is it better today that six counties of Ireland are in the United Kingdom than it was 100 years ago when the 32 counties of Ireland were in the United Kingdom. Well, of course, if, if the 32 counties had opted to remain part of the United Kingdom and then the Commonwealth, well, that would have been a very different situation. Uh, and I think many unionists at that time, that's what they wanted. But the 26 counties decided to go on their own, and that is their democratic right to do so, and we're not, we wouldn't criticise them for okay. that. They decided to go it alone. But there was a very clear majority in Northern Ireland who wished to remain within the United Kingdom. And they, they, their will prevailed. And as I say, despite all the problems we faced, Northern Ireland is still there. We're still going strong. And we have a very bright future once the present okay. difficulties are, are overcome. You'd have to expect protests today. Uh, do you think that there will be a security issue? Oh, no, I mean, there would be very, very tight security. Uh, I suspect there will be a dissident Republican element who will be protesting. But the reality is that they count for very, very few people. Um, I tell you an amusing story. One of their posters, you know, drive the Brits out of out of Ireland poster, said for further information, contact Fred at yahoo.co.uk, which gave us all a bit of a smile because they still acknowledge the UK in their their website. But what I would say is that there will be that very small group, 
um, who will um, protest. But they, they, they don't represent nationalism. They don't represent anybody in the country except a, a sort of a very militant group. They're tiny. I mean, less than 200 people were told by the police. So I, I don't think that will disrupt anything. They'll get a, a large number of police on duty, as they would be anyhow, because of the VIPs that are attending. And mm. I, I think, even though I haven't been invited, I think it'll be a, a very good service, uh, which will be commemorating a very important year in the history of Northern Ireland. It's a pity that not only did Michael D. Higgins not attend, but the, the silly nonsense about not being addressed as the President of Ireland, when actually he was, but apart from that, you know, insisting and in calling himself the President of Ireland, which he is, and he's the President of the Republic of Ireland. But, you know, the pedantic little nonsense. I, I, I had a lot of respect for Michael D. Higgins uh, up to now. But I must say that has diminished with the way he's carried himself on this particular issue. Okay. He could have done so much better and he could have been a force for good and he hasn't been. All right. I think uh, the people in the Republic, the vast majority indeed, polls have showed us uh, support, uh, the position that the president has taken on it. Uh, and of course, as with all things on this island, opinions will differ, I think think it's amazing given that there is no loyalist as loyal as Jim Wells that you have not been invited today but like all of us I'm well, sure you'd well be my watching invitation, it my invitation must have been lost in the post or maybe I've had too many controversial interviews on Live FM maybe that's my problem maybe that's but the I, problem yeah I, I, I just I note with interest that I haven't I've been at Stormont 27 years yesterday right. I believe I'm the longest serving MLA ever in the history of Stormont but for some reason they must have not franked the, the, the envelope or something it hasn't come my way I mm. certainly would have been there had I been invited but I'm not bitter I'll, I'll rebuild my life okay. and move on if that's the worst that happens to me this week I'll be perfectly happy Alright well we'll all be watching it uh, I'm sure with great interest uh, uh, later this afternoon but uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning Jim Wells thank DUP you. MLA for Southdown Michael Reed on LMFM. One in four published its annual report yesterday and highlighted a busy 12 months, which saw one in four work with some 53 sex offenders over the course of the year in individual and group settings. One in four advocacy workers supported 432 survivors over the course of the year, engaging with Gardaí and the criminal justice system and supporting people with two child protection notifications. It was, for many, a difficult year and no different for one in four, which had to close its offices in March of 2020 and find different ways of providing support to men and women who experienced childhood sexual abuse. And last year, they did that with 172 clients through online, individual and group psychotherapy sessions. Maeve Lewis is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of One in Four. And a very good morning to you, Maeve, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Of the 172 people that you worked with online uh, who had been abused as children, it's quite remarkable to read that 51% of them had been abused in their own families. Yes, uh, good morning, Michael. Um, I mean, that really is a figure that's replicated year on year. I think a lot of Irish people have a sense that most children are abused by people outside the family. Um, so, for example, we've had the major religious scandals, um, scandals in sporting organisations. But the sad reality is that for the majority of children who are sexually abused, they are abused within their own homes um, in a place where they really should feel safe. And 
that of course it causes um, a huge impact on the child's developing personality and that impact is often felt right throughout the person's life. Mm. And understandably so, I, I, I imagine, because it's uh, not just people that they trust, but it, it's people that they should be able to trust. Well, yes, it is people that they should be able to trust. And, of course, for a child caught in that situation, there is a real dilemma. Um, you know, very commonly our clients will tell us that um, they love their family, they love the person who abused them, but at the same time, uh, are caught in absolutely hating what has been done to them. And I mean, this is really, really difficult. Mm. So, I mean, for a child growing up, they are dependent on their family. You know, there is nowhere to go. And that's why probably most children do not disclose sexual abuse until they reach adulthood and have been able to leave the family they grew up in. What had been done to them by their father, their mother, their brother, their sister, their uncle, their aunt, their cousin or whoever uh, it, it was uh, that did this. Uh, and uh, the conflict that that puts it in somebody's mind can be very complicated. Um, there's a, another terrible statistic uh, from your report that 30% of those people had attempted suicide at least once in their lives. Yes, I mean, last year we met 74 people for the first time for an assessment meeting and um, they told us that one in three of them told us that they had attempted suicide at some point in their lives. And I mean, this is cause of great anxiety to us because we have people on a waiting list who potentially are at risk of harming themselves and yet we don't have space to accept them into the psychotherapy programme. Uh, last year, thanks to a grant from Tusla, we were able for the first time to support a waiting list case manager and her work is to provide um, online or telephone support, crisis counselling and to make sure that while people are waiting they're actually safe. So that has been really good. But I mean our waiting list grew exponentially last year, Michael, mm. because people were sitting at home during lockdown, not going out to work, not engaging in their usual social activities or sports or whatever, not meeting their friends. Uh, they had far too much time to think. So people were telling us that um, they were experiencing really, really high levels of distress, panic attacks, nightmares, and indeed uh, increased suicide ideation. So that is really, really worrying to have to carry a, a waiting list. And for some people, it could be up to 18 months before they see a therapist. Um, you know, how do we keep and support people during that period? And I think it is absolutely unacceptable that when um, a survivor finally plucks up the courage and says, you know, I actually need help. I need to reach out here. They make that telephone call mm. and then are told they have to go on a waiting list. Um, you, 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 you conjure up a, a, a picture of somebody in crisis. Uh, is that um, where people are at when they come to seek help, when they come to you looking for help? Are, are they in crisis, generally speaking? Yeah, I mean... People manage often for years to sort of contain all the impact of the sexual abuse. And it may be that people have maybe formed um, a very loving relationship. Um, they're caught up in parenting and so on. But at some point, uh, it's usually when people's literally their backs are to the wall and they feel, I just can't carry on like this anymore. I just can't continue feeling like this all the time mm. that they reach out for help. So they're... Uh, in meltdown mode as such uh, uh, and they come to you uh, and 
then you put them on a, a waiting list uh, because that's the situation. How long might they be waiting for? Well, you know, by the end of last year, there were nearly 100 people on our waiting list, which meant people could be waiting for up to 18 months. And part of the problem, Michael, is that all the services working with sexual violence also have long waiting lists. All the rape crisis centres, all, um, you know, the National Counselling Service. So there is nowhere to refer people to. Um, And, you know, we're really, really caught. So, I mean, I really am calling on um, on, on the government to actually properly resource this sector. Um, the demand out there is huge. You know, the research shows us one in four Irish children experience sexual violence. So that tells us that there are an awful lot of adults, adults out there who have been through that experience and who need to have access in a timely way to the expert uh, services that they need. And to give some sense of security or reassurance or safety, uh, your annual report says, my therapist and the room we work in is the only safe place in my life. Uh, But if that room and the therapist in that room isn't uh, available to somebody, as you say, you're very concerned, particularly if somebody is in meltdown uh, and they've come to you at that stage and they've uh, to wait 18 months. um, do, Do things get worse in that time period? Well, it, it depends. And as I say, we now have somebody whose sole job is to support people on the waiting list. So um, she's able to help people, for example, deal with symptoms, to offer some crisis appointments. And uh, that certainly is helping. Mm. We also encourage people to use some of the helplines that are out there. For example, you know, the National Helpline for Sexual Violence or indeed the Samaritans or, you know, some of the 24-hour helplines that are available. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, if uh, people believe uh, they need help, uh, if somebody is listening to us uh, this morning, Maeve, uh, it, it may seem futile seeking help, uh, given what you've just said. Uh, what would you say to them? Well, look, I would say it's not futile. Do reach out. And, um, you know, if you ring one in four, you will be met by somebody who understands what you're going through. You will be you will speak to somebody who understands what you're going mm. through, who will be sensitive and compassionate, um, who will be encouraging. And at least if you're on a waiting list, it is a step forward. So please, it's not, um, it is not in any way futile. I mean, the reality is good expert psychotherapy really works. People do move on to live satisfying and healthy lives. Uh, we have hundreds of testimonies from clients over the years who describe the transformation of their lives having been through a therapy programme. Uh, so it really, really is worthwhile. Okay. Uh, one in four.ie is your website if uh, people do want uh, to make contact with you. Sure. And uh, uh, perhaps I, I can check your number. It's a Dublin number, isn't it? Uh, 662 4070. That's 662 4070. Yeah, and I should stress we, yeah. we, it's not a helpline per se, mm. it's um, during office hours, so half nine to half five, Monday to Friday. Okay, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Maeve Lewis, uh, who is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of uh, the One in Four Group. And uh, as uh, Maeve said, you can also contact uh, the 24-hour helpline for 
the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, which is 1-800-788-8888. The Samaritans can be reached on 116-123. Michael Reed on LMFM. Pat and Balbrigid is uh, texting us uh, this morning and he says, Michael, I listen to your show every morning. I know you do, Pat, because uh, uh, we quite often get texts from you and uh, it's always great to hear from you and thanks uh, for your support. But he says, just one complaint. Okay, let's uh, look at it. He says, uh, will you please stop reading out the texts from these anti-vax fools? Don't be giving them any airtime. They're away with the fairies. Oh, God, I was going to say you can't call them fools uh, because they don't like being called fools. Um, You're probably better off calling them mad. Uh, But you've called them fools and mad, Pat. (laughs) It seems because that's what the way with the fairies means. Uh, These are the people who know better than you, Pat. And you not realise that you're falling for all this stuff uh, and that you haven't found out about the stuff that they won't tell you about. I keep wondering who they are. You know, you see this stuff on the internet. This is what they won't tell you. Who <laughs> won't tell you? <laughs> anyway, I, 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 I'm trying not to read them out, Pat, uh, but uh, thanks. Uh, I, uh, you've amused me somewhat. Uh, Joe says, uh, why are you putting such faith in pa- vaccine passports when you say you wouldn't go into a premises if they weren't checking them? Oh, Joe, do I have to tell you? It's because there'll be people in there who haven't been vaccinated and they're more at risk. And yes, I can get the virus off them even though I have been vaccinated there's an awful lot of people saying what are you worried about if you've been vaccinated would you ever stop trying to be smart you're just making a fool of yourself with all this stuff Um, can't understand why Michael keeps saying he won't go into a restaurant if people are vaccinated if he's vaccinated he's safe so what's the problem another one God sorry Pat They're very busy uh, and they cash me out with these texts coming in. Uh, Clara says uh, we should name and shame the restaurants and bars who don't ask for certs. Yeah, or boycott them. Uh, Because uh, if people boycotted them, then they wouldn't be getting the business that they're looking for and then they might have to start looking for them. Uh, Karen, thanks for your text. She says, what about maternity services and partners who are not allowed in for appointments or antenatal uh, departments? Myself and my partner could go into a nightclub together, but he can't be there with me when I need him most. The Rotunda is now more or less fully open to partners, but the Lourdes isn't. Thanks, Karen. That's... uh, a very good point, I think. Paddy Duffy says, bring back the two kilometre rule for the unvaccinated who are recommended to get the vaccine. Thank you uh, for that. Jerry and Wilkinson says, uh, do you think that it's time for the hospitals to stop treating people who won't get vaccinated and save the ICU beds for people that are vaccinated? Thanks, Jerry. I, I, I don't and I'm sure you don't, uh, but uh, I get the point. Margaret says, COVID hasn't gone away and it won't be going away. It's here to stay while we have anti-vax ticks walking around believing COVID doesn't exist. Yet the majority in the hospital now are the unvaccinated. Well, I don't think a hospital bed should be wasted on them either. That's very like uh, Jerry's text earlier on. Um, Thanks, uh, Margaret. Thanks, Jerry. Now, you can go to a nightclub. You can do all these things. Uh, It seems from midnight tonight um, but are you going to do it Uh, let's get some advice for you especially if you're over 60 here's the Chief Medical Officer Dr Tony Hoolan well uh, certainly while cases are high I mean this is something that people need to be aware of that that, that what I can do to protect myself I can stay away from things that I don't need to be involved in it's not to say we're not asking people to stay at home necessarily 
but we are asking people to cut down and minimise the extent to which they interact and find themselves in settings that are risky in terms of transmission. Particularly now this is a group, given the advice that's been provided by NAC earlier in the week, the government has accepted and we know will be implemented by the HSE in the not terribly distant future that people over the age of 60 will begin to be vaccinated by way of the, the additional booster dose that will afford additional uh, protection. So for you as an individual in that age group to just be conscious, to be aware of these, these are the kinds of risks that I need to be aware of if I'm to minimise the chance of me picking up this particular disease, even if I've already been vaccinated, um, uh, in order to ensure that I, that, I, that, I, that I don't pick up the disease and suffer some of the potentially severe effects that I'm more, more likely to experience given that I'm over the age of 60. Well, they absolutely should be aware of the kinds of pub environments that are unsafe from their point of view, that they really need to take stock of that, kind of, as everybody should, but in particular people with those uh, vulnerabilities to severe, severe effects of this disease. The kinds of pub environment in which your COVID pass is not checked, in which the basic measures in terms of access to hand sanitizers and all of the basic uh, um, environments, um, uh, the, the extent to which and you're familiar, I'm sure, with all of the guidance that's in place for those sectors, table service and all of that. So if those things are you know, visibly being adhered to, that's a relatively safer environment than one which it's where, where they're visibly not being adhered to. And, and, and I think we all know that there are many environments where there is good adherence to those and people have, an, have, have a range of those that they can choose. Uh, but there are also, unfortunately, pub and restaurant environments where there isn't good adherence to those, and those can't be regarded as safe environments for you, particularly at these levels of transmission, if you're one of the people who's been, who's vulnerable to the severe effects of this okay. disease. Food for thought. CMO, Dr. Tony Hoolan. Thanks uh, to David Kearney, uh, who's emailed saying, why do you continue to allow Jim Wells on the programme insulting the Catholic population of Northern Ireland? How dare he question uh, the Catholics uh, remaining and increased after partition? The Northern Ireland Catholic nationalist population are the indigenous population of Northern Ireland, not the planter Protestant population that Wells belongs to. He again insulted the president of all Ireland and you let him away with it. It sadly seems he's on your show just to promote controversy and publicity for you. Time to leave him on the sidelines where he belongs, says David. Uh, thanks indeed uh, for that, David. Uh, I'd like to think uh, that that's not the case. Uh, we're not looking for publicity. We're looking for an alternative view. Uh, and I think we certainly do get it with uh, Jim Wells. Uh, unlike a lot of our callers uh, who are texting in saying the Queen did pull a sickie. Uh, Shauna Indrahada says it's great that they're giving booster shots to the older age groups now. And I think that they should also be offered to all hospital staff as they're the ones who are on the front line caring for COVID patients. Thanks uh, for that, Shauna. Uh, another text uh, then that comes to us, um, or it's actually it's a, a call uh, that comes from Maggie who says she is vaccinated and her family is vaccinated. She has COVID and she's very sick and she can't taste or smell and is crippled with pains. Thank God she has the vaccine or she could have ended up in ICU. Maggie feels it is wrong to open up the way we are opening up this weekend. And thank you for sharing your thoughts with us uh, this morning uh, as well. Somebody else uh, in touch with us uh, saying, uh, get a grip of yourself, Michael. When you go grocery shopping, how do you know or not know if people are vaccinated or not? Well, that's a a valid point. I think uh, it would be great if you could stop the unvaccinated people from going into the shops, tell them to click and collect and stay out of anywhere indoors where they're mixing with people who have enough sense to protect themselves and other people. Uh, And we do not, of course, include the people who have been advised not to get vaccinated in all of that. Uh, Somebody else in touch with us uh, saying uh, that uh, they're hoping to get a, a 
COVID uh, bonus uh, by going dancing and uh, that it's about time that they were allowed to get out and about and to do the stuff that we've missed for so long in this country and that it's great that at least there's some normality coming back to things uh, and that will be happening over the coming days and hopefully it'll all work. Uh, some calls uh, then about Our Lady's Hospital in Navan, Jim and Navan in touch yesterday saying that he was listening to the show and he was mad when he heard the Minister for Health talk about the hospital uh, as the way Jim perceived the Minister uh, he seemed to be saying that he's only pausing the closure of the emergency department and the ICU Uh, it, it means that the plan is still there to proceed and that it's going to be closed eventually. Jim really hopes that people from County Meath come out for the demonstration against the downgrading on the uh, 30th of October. He says uh, what the Minister said doesn't give any real hope. People need to protest and Jim says he worries about his family in years to come and where they will end up when they need hospital care. If there's something wrong with the ED, let us hear what it is and secondly, if something is wrong, then build a new one before the old one is demolished. It's just terrible what they're doing. His blood was boiling when he called us. Thanks, Jim. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.